0: So let's, uh, let's, let's clear one thing up to start today. I'm not a monk. Is that clear? All right, I'm not gonna belong to any monastic community or any monastic order. I'm married. I like being married. I curse. Really. I like cursing. Really. Funny same reaction at 9:30. Someone I I must be known. That's good. It's a good thing. <laughs> I went on a retreat last year, wonderful retreat. Soul churning, spirit fulfilling. 8 days of silence and I and I knew going in that, you know, I'm so not a monk, so I actually chose to have a roommate. And this roommate for the first two nights snored Snored so loud. I mean, the, the name of the retreat was Intimacy with Life. And in my mind, in my mind that was reacting against having to share this space, it was intimacy with his snoring. And so I left that, and I went and I got myself my own room. I mean, when I'm at home with my remote control, I'm like an infant who, uh, you know, just maybe starting to experience maybe an older child who's maybe starting to experience a little bit of separation anxiety from their parent, and I hold on to that object. I like my stuff is what I'm trying to say. I am not a monk. That said, monastic communities have always been of interest to me, especially in the last decade or so, as I've gotten to know more and more people who are members of monastic orders, women and men. I think I first became aware of some of the promise of monastic living a number of years ago when I read a woman named Kathleen Norris. Now, Kathleen Norris spent most of her professional life on the Upper West Side of Manhattan as a poet, And as a writer, pretty much one of the most secular environments you could imagine, in which it was all about production, in which it was all about getting things done, until Kathleen Norris recognized something was missing from her life, and she became what they call a Benedictine oblate, someone who was kind of a lay member of a Benedictine community. And at first, when she found this Benedictine monastery, she really resisted its rhythms, its times, its paces, because she was always, like most of us, used to living for the next deadline, the next thing due, thinking of life in terms of a succession of linear tasks which are accomplished, then put behind us, and moved on to the next thing. She said that because in the monastery, life is experienced in more circular, cyclical ways, Things happen the same over and over and over again. Once she got used to her resistance, she actually found she loved it. Because when things were happening over and over and over again, she got to take a step back from her assumption that things had to lead to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And she said, basically, if things repeat all the time, then nothing is ever finished, and we might as well enjoy what we're doing while we're doing it. This other piece of monastic wisdom I've been working with a lot recently, it's about anger. Now, you may not think to look at me, unless you really know me, that I wouldn't say I have anger issues or anger management issues, but I don't deal with anger all that well. Part of a family heritage, I suppose you say. Either kind of express it out in unhelpful ways or kind of cram it down in, also in unhelpful ways. And so I've been working with what's called the Vinaya. It's the thousands of year old Buddhist traditions for their monastic communities. And it's how we might approach expressing our anger in better ways. I'm going to share these words with you. Before admonishing another person, one should reflect thus. In due season will I speak, not out of season will I speak. In truth, I will speak to the other person, not in falsehood. This is uh, the next one I really like, especially when I'm angry, because I go for the cheap points. I go for the cheap win. For his or her benefit, I will speak. Not for his or her loss will I speak. Gently will I speak, not harshly. In kindness will I speak, not in anger. Now, if there's anyone else here who's got anger issues like me, email me and I'll get the Vinaya to you, that part of it, and work with those words, perhaps, next time you experience anger. I think that one of the reasons I'm drawn to these particular teachings of monastic community is that, especially in Western education, when we talk about character formation, Forming our character. We consider it almost an individualist kind of thing, like it's something we do on our own. But the monastic traditions, East and West, give us a different opportunity to learn. We most profoundly form our character in our relationships with other people, with the people who annoy us. That is one of the most brilliant seeds of character formation. Running up against those people who drive us nuts is an amazing opportunity. To learn perhaps some of the deepest aspirations of our heart for patience, tolerance, and love. So when we talk about community-shaping character, what I really think it's about is about what saves us. And when I say what saves us, I'm not talking about in some supernatural, otherworldly kind of way. I'm talking about what saves us when our hearts are broken. I'm talking about What saves us, and here comes one of those curse words right here, I'm talking about what saves us when we think everything is shit, and we want to respond to life with equal amounts of shittiness as we think has been given to us. talking about what helps us be whole, be whole people. Some traditions say that there's a doctrinal answer for this. You know, the way that you can be a whole person is by subscribing to a single doctrine. You can find it in a single text or set of books. Now, we're not from a doctrinal tradition here. There are many different teachings that we can work with. Ours, at our best, this Unitarian Universalist tradition, is this. And I'm going to try and pronounce it correctly, although I'm probably going to screw up just as badly as I did at 930. It is not tri- doctrinal. It is characterological. Say that with me. Characterological. Come on, try and say it at least. <laughs> characterological. Which means it's focused on the shaping of our character. Here's three different teachings about what it is to be focused on the shaping of our character. The first is from our own Unitarian tradition. I preached on it before. For me, it is the most important Unitarian sermon of the 19th century. It's simply called Likeness to God by William Ellery Channing. It says, We are born. Unlike the Calvinist tradition say. We are not born as originally depraved. We are not born as inherently sinful. Rather, we are born with an inherent likeness to the very essence of this universe that Channing calls God. This likeness to God. To the extent, Channing goes on to say, that we develop these likenesses, these qualities, which he equates with love, with kindness, with compassion, with forbodance, forbearance, excuse me, not forbearance all these, uh, this is what happens when I try to rattle off terms uh, with a cold from the 19th century, I get them wrong. These likenesses to God, he says, as we develop them, so do we experience them in our life, but to the extent we do not. They merely sit there, these potentialities to grow, to deepen, to be whole, and it's as if Seemingly, they don't exist. The second teaching, more modern, Thich Nhat Hanh, that we quote every single week here at Wellsprings, he says, we are all born, each of us, with seeds, with different seeds which we can choose to water and plant in our lives. Some are seeds of love, some are seeds of hate, some are seeds of compassion, some are seeds of indifference, some are seeds of kindness, some are seeds of anger. Our life is a lifelong journey into choosing which seeds we are going to water and which seeds we are going to plant. Not once and done. There's not one planting season, not one harvesting season, but all throughout our lives. Then this final teaching that is characterological. Some of you might know this. This It's from a Native American tradition, most often uh, uh, coming from the Cherokee people. An old man is teaching about what has made his life most meaningful to him, and he is describing to young people that inside of him, there are two wolves. One of the wolves is patient, loyal, tolerant, kind. The other dog, the other wolf, easy to anger, rageful, always barking, always biting. And the young children asked this old man, this wise old man, which dog do you listen to? The old man responds, the dog that I choose to feed. Three different teaching stories, three different sources about the formation of our character. I think what they all have in common is that they say this character formation does not happen by accident. It's one of the reasons I asked Rebecca to speak today to share her story of how they are forming the culture of this family, of their family, and how it's based in the larger culture of Wellsprings, is that it doesn't happen by accident. We can just choose to go on about our lives not paying attention, just being more and more upset by the stuff we can't control, more and more upset by the loudness, by the noise, by all the stuff that gets under our skin. Character formation does not happen by accident. And by the way, Sometimes in our tradition, because we don't have a doctrine of original sin, thank God. We can get into a kind of lazy assumption, I'm okay, you're okay. I'm just fine. You're just peaches. We don't really need each other. If your brain is anything like my brain is from time to time, and your heart is anything like my heart is from time to time, I am so freaking far from okay. I'm okay, you're okay, that's just a a cop-out. I don't think it gives us what we need to grow, what we need to develop that inherent wholeness that is our birthright, but does not come about simply by accident or wishing it to be so. This is where community comes in. Thich Nhat Hanh, in one of his most intriguing teachings, says that the next Buddha, Buddha simply means, some of you know this already, one who is awake. The next Buddha, the Buddha of the West, he says, not the place from which his tradition first hailed. The next Buddha, the Buddha of the West, will come as the Sangha, which some of you know that word means the community. It means we can't look for one particular person to be the awakened one and save us. It means that it will take communities of character to help awaken all of us. This is why I asked Rebecca to speak this morning, because the ways that we choose to cultivate our character, our kids' characters, influences who they are, who we are in their relationships, and that's what I want to celebrate this morning on this sixth birthday. Wellsprings launched six years ago at the end of January 2007. Now, as you might hear in my voice, and that's why I'm drinking this hot water, I've been sick this week. And at first, I really resisted it. Until I recognized that the output that I was producing was just so god-awful, I might as well try and give up. (laughs) So I took the universe's invitation for a timeout to heart, and I stopped doing. And I just started reflecting, knowing that eventually I'd have to have something to say, hopefully, this Sunday morning. Just reflecting on where we were a year ago. Some of you were here. Some of you were here on this Sunday a year ago. Wanted to share with us some honest news and some unhappy news. Which was that although we had had growth and continue to have growth unprecedented for a new Unitarian Universalist community. We had nowhere near the level of financial sustainability that we needed. That was the absolute truth for 5 years I think we tried to avoid it. I know I tried to avoid it. I tried to play the innocent. Oh, it'll come. It'll come. It'll come as we grow. Well, things don't happen by accident. And so in this past year we've had to make some tough choices and our giving has grown. And so today I can say, and some of you know this, who've been following along in the weekly that comes out, the every single at the end of the month, we give you the stats. These are what the stats are. This is the money coming in. This is the money going out. We are now in a run of about six straight months in which we have regularly more coming in than we have going out. Ah, it's nice. Ah, but a stability point is not a stopping point. Stability is only good to the extent it encourages us to grow more. And by grow, I'm not talking statistics. I'm talking about growing the strength of this community. Some of you know when I preached on it this past fall, and I sent letters to many of you who give already, that we have a set of aspirations, some of which encourage us to reach more deeply and more highly than we have to this point, and it comes about because of our generosity. There is a printout of those aspirations on the back table if you want to take a look at them, and I would encourage you to because they are an expression of our community's desire to keep growing stronger and more deeply in spirit together. So those are just a few statistics, but I have to tell you that what I was thinking about this week were not stats, they were stories. The stories of the past six years, the stories of people in this community. I'm talking about individuals, I'm talking about whole collections of individuals. I'm talking about people who have learned to live with unimaginable sadness and heartbreak, and who have not given in to the fact that loss may be the final sentence on our lives, that still love abides even in the midst of tremendous heartbreak. I have remembered stories this past week of people who have finally said in their lives, enough is enough. I can change my behaviors, my patterns, my addictions. I can grow what is past does not have to be what the rest of my life is going to be. I have remembered stories this past week of people in this community, some of whom are you. People who know what it is like to actually, honestly answer that question, how are you doing? You know that question, how are you doing? And maybe you want to say, I'm okay, when you're not. The stories of this community are what sits in my heart with love this day. When I reflect on our beliefs and values, when I reflect on what is giving birth to all of this growth, to all of this kindness, to all of this character formation, when I am struck by over and over and over again, I'd encourage you sometime if you haven't for a while or maybe you never have before, sit down with those beliefs and values and hear the stories of what those symbols, of what those teachings can encourage us to do. They are all about honoring time and honoring space in our lives. Because as Rebecca said at the start of her chargeful living, it is absolutely true. Sometimes there is just so much noise, so much violence, so much stuff going on that to take a step back is exactly what we need, but what we will not allow ourselves to do because we have such in this culture an addiction to doing. I remember a Hasidic story that I really love, a story from the mystical tradition in Judaism. It's a story of an ancient, old, old rabbi who welcomes a number of visitors to the community. And it's assumed in the community that the young work while the old pray in mystical contemplation. And the visitors see a young person in that community who day after day after day is not working, but praying. And the visitors, after a few weeks, say, why is that person not doing anything? And the old rabbi says, they are doing so much, can't you see? They are creating a space in their heart, this kind of spaciousness in the heart does not happen by accident. It happens if we truly can take to heart, as our DNA talks about, that there are bushes still blazing, that there are chrysalis, cocoons within each of us that want to bear forth new life, room and time and space to grow for all of us. This is what has been in my heart this past week, are the stories of how we here in this community of growing character have embodied these beliefs and values. I'm not saying all this growth wouldn't have happened without Wellsprings, but I've heard over and over and over again the catalyzing effect that we have had in each other's lives. And the most profound thing I feel is gratitude, that we are fulfilling the teachings, the invitation of another great Unitarian minister of last century minister down in Washington, D.C., A. Powell Davies, who said, life is simply this. It's just a chance to grow a soul. We are growing souls here together. It does not mean that we're perfect at it. Very, very far from it. Very far from perfection. Me, truly, so far from perfection, somehow I don't even know how I do this for a living. But what this growth requires of us is that understanding that it's going to be imperfect. And that how we choose to hold our imperfections within ourselves and between ourselves, that is what makes all the difference. That's the blessings of imperfection, not the fear of imperfection or the refusal to try because we're going to be imperfect. I am one of those Unitarian Universalists who observes almost every year, almost every single year I observe Lent. I love the spiritual practice of letting go so that something new can bloom within me. This year, because most of my Lenten practices in the past have been of benefit to me on my own, this year what I'm choosing to do is to give up eating animals for Lent. Wow. At 9.30, I got a couple people applauding on that one here. None. All right. No, no, go on eating animals, please. I won't take your silence to be anything. I guess I'll just take it to be silence. Now, actually, I'm not going to observe it all during Lent because uh, the first weekend of Lent this year, I'm going to turn universal. So who the hell cares if I observe Lent to the letter of the law? <laughs> but the first weekend of Lent this this year is my uh, yearly mancation with some of my favorite friends in the world. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure that showing up and saying, I am stopping eating animals for Lent will get me the one-way ticket out of mancation. <laughs> so starting on or about February 19th or 20th, I am going to give up eating animals for Lent this year. Now, because I like to cook, I'm looking up recipes for uh, you know non-animal-based foodstuffs. And so I came across this, uh, this character up here. You might know what that is. That's quinoa some of you know what quinoa is it is one of these superfoods this super nutrient dense plant-based life form that has protein and makes some of us apparently want to hurl in the back (laughs) some of us like a little bit more than some of the rest of us do that's okay And well, this is one of the things while I was researching quinoa recipes, I came upon a recent article from just this past week from the Guardian newspaper out of uh, London, England. And one of the things that the Guardian talked about, it's a progressive newspaper. They're not reporting this story to try and say it's the worst thing in the world not to eat animals. But one of the things they're talking about is that quinoa which is produced in certain regions of Latin America has become so beloved by people especially like me. Wealthy, Northern Americans who are looking for the next big superfood. It has driven up the price of quinoa so much that the poor peasants who have subsisted on quinoa as their staple food for generations can no longer afford it. Now, I do not believe that the road to hell is truly paved with good intentions. But what I do believe is that from time to time, we find that no matter how good our intentions are, they will have unintended side effects that will not be the kind of outcomes we want them to be. This is what I'm talking about, by the way, when I mean holding our imperfections lightly and lovingly. Because this could be an excuse for me to say, no quinoa, I tried, give me the steak. (laughs) But that aspiration is important to me. So I'm not going to use this as an opportunity for cynicism. Which very often people do use their imperfections or the simple imperfect nature of life as an excuse. It's easier being cynical. It's easier not trying. It's easier not trying to make a difference. And just simply know with, without shame and without guilt, without beating ourselves up, once we learn something new about ourselves that might change the course or the path of what we intended to do, well, that's simply an application of what we talk about. Here at Wellsprings, one of our core values is living with integrity, We're listening, listening to our lives with humility and vulnerability, and always knowing that if I'm not going to eat quinoa, I could eat this instead. <laughs> I'm not going to eat the literal chia pet, but you know that chia is now a superfood as well too? Literally, one of those silly things that if you grew up in the 80s, you always saw on television, you can now eat chia which I assume that as I would eat more of it, it will drive up those prices for those growers in the near Andes, and then I can feel guilty about that too. But that's not the point. The point is to learn to hold our imperfections lightly is itself not shaping an individual virtue. It actually is something more deep and more rich. It's shaping the holding place for our character. When we take this kind of character out into the world with us, it makes a huge difference in how we interact with each other. Had an opportunity just to do this this past week. Last Sunday I preached about violence and gun control and some of the ways that as we get further and further away from Newtown and the massacre at Sandy Hook, that more anger is seeping into the conversation. More politicization is seeping into the conversation, starting to dominate the ways that some of us think and talk about this. And I talked about one particular thing that's floating around throughout um, online, and and a friend of mine on Facebook posted it. It's a very uh, dishonest, I think, um, internet meme that says, NBC admits. In fact, it's a very selectively edited piece of journalism from the day after Sandy Hook happened that says, There was no military-style submachine gun used in the assault. A friend of mine on Facebook posted this. I knew it was wrong. I knew that the people putting it out were trying to create doubt about gun control measures that I would like to see the country take, and I just started to get fuming. I started to get angry. Until I actually thought about that teaching on anger from the vinyaya. And I said, am I truly speaking to help this person, or am I speaking to make myself feel better, and to feel justified? And if you know anything about Facebook, you know that political conversation on Facebook becomes rants very easily. And so I didn't respond to him in his thread. I took a deep breath, I waited a full day, and then I sent him a private message saying, I see what you've posted, I disagree, And here's where I disagree, and here's why I disagree. And he got back to me a day later and said, thank you for that new information. There's a lot of different ways that conversation could have gone, and I think it went about as well as it could have. This is what happens when we bring a deeper, more resonant, more kind character into our lives, particularly into our lives when we're feeling stressed out. I think it's helping to put into effect and make more real something the Dalai Lama taught not too long ago. And by the way, I'm going to say the word success in here. I've got nothing against success. But I think the way that he's talking about success, we ought to be skeptical of. He's saying the planet, our planet right now, doesn't need any more successful people. The planet desperately needs peacemakers, needs healers, needs restorers, needs storytellers. Our planet needs lovers of all kinds. It needs people who live well in their place. It needs people with moral courage, willing to join the struggle to make the world habitable and humane, And these qualities have little to do with success as Western culture often talks about it. The week in which I could not get Manti Teo and his whole nonsense story out of my brain, I thought, you know what, yeah, to, to recognize that there's a different kind of success beyond the kind of success, the celebrity kind of success that too often we lift up. And so this is my only real birthday hope and birthday wish for us this year, is that we will all continue to be in our own imperfect ways a community of character, a community and individuals within that community who vow to continually reveal that divine likeness, to water the right seeds, the seeds of love compassion, not the seeds of anger or rage or misunderstanding, that we will be people who over and over again choose to feed the dog that gives us life. May we continue to be a community of character here, and through this, may we continue to grow. Amen. Happy birthday, Wellsprings. And may we continue to live in blessing. Let's pray together. Divine and gracious source of being, here we are in the midst of lives loud and silent, violent and peaceful harsh and tender. I ask blessing this day upon all of our hearts that we will continue to cultivate that natural and good soil that is with each, within each and every one of us. That we will recognize that each day is an opportunity once again to grow our soul to deepen our character to create deeper bonds of belonging love compassion between each and every one of us may we take up the work that is ours to do this day we cannot do any other days but this day may we cultivate our lives with kindness with love, and with joy. Amen.